and welcome to Hot Singles, a music podcast. I've lost my rhythm, but I'm Autumn, and I'm joined by Regs. Hey, here's some rhythm back. <laughs> um, I'm Regs. We're here to talk about uh, Silence Yourself by Savages and Mad Villainy by Mad Villain, but also just MF Doom broadly. Like, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, that that one doesn't really need too much explanation. We we, we got to yeah. talk about Doom. Um, we got to talk about Doom. So yeah, uh, any preliminaries or can we just jump into Savages? I think we should just jump in. Hell yeah. So this is the album I brought. Um, this is entirely the result of um, 
Nia suggesting, hey, what do you think of post-punk? And me going back through my sort of, like, memory of, like, well, what what do I think are, like, the great post-punk albums in my own head? And, like, who are the great uh, bands? And, like, what what the best kinds of sounds that, that like, speak to me? Um, mm-hmm. And realized that we've had a bunch of conversations about, like, uh, a bunch of different things. Like, noisy rock music um, mm-hmm. and female-fronted noisy rock music. And I'm sure at some point I mustn't mention Savages to you, but it's never like come back in the same way that a bunch of other different acts have come back. Right. So I wanted to like put this in front of you and see what you like thought if you spent some proper time with it. Um, because this shit I love this slaps. Album. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> there we go. This is good shit. <laughs> yeah. So who are they? Savages are a four part all-female post-punk band from the UK. Their front woman is Jenny Beth. She's part French, hence the slightly weird cadence and accent, which I kind of love. It's kind of great. and You know what? Imme- I can hear it. Yeah, it immediately shifts it out of, like, shouting. Uh, like, there's a ton of British post-punk, and it's all very, like, oh, earnest boy with, like, real important social messages to share. And then Jenny Beth immediately puts it into the slightly more, like, lesbian gender theory writer air which is just a better, okay. more yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. space to be in. Um, <laughs> but she's also, like, got a social conscious and writes about, like, the city and fucking. So, you know. <laughs> um, it was released in 2013. So it's been around a while. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, this is the thing. Uh, when people heard this album, it was immediately like, oh, this is the post-punk revival revival. Um, and then basically put it, like up alongside things like Susie and the Banshees and the sort of like only other bits of female fronted post-punk from the original wave. Mm. I think again, because of my preferences and particularly because of the guitar tones, because these guitar tones are like something special. They're noisy so and aggro good. and I put it up against like, again, we keep coming back to it, but shoegazy stuff that comes slightly later. Mm. I also put up against things like suicide um, those are the sorts of references I'm pulling, as well as the like really upfront angular stuff from like Gang of Four, among others. So yeah, this is an album which is 38 minutes of very straightforward, but very like wild, noisy, driving, fuck off mm-hmm. post punk, and I love it to hell. The the reference point for me, and I think this is gonna be my reference point for everything in this genre, like from the guitar tones, was like, what if um, Jesus and Mary Chain went hard on every song? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just good shit. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So yeah, um, um I I do want to do another little bit of biographical note, which is yeah, at least when there was this sort of moment in 2013 that they were blowing up, um, they got signed to Matador and released it very quickly on the back of this wave of hype and publicity around the way they did their gigs, which was all very no rec- the, the album's called silence yourself and it's got this little poetic spiel on the front which says uh that wikipedia is far too small for me to see uh <laughs> 600 silence- by 600 baby yeah <laughs> uh hunt yourself artwork let's see if i can find an hd version so i can actually fucking read it uh <laughs> is this better yeah, the world used to be silent. Now there's too many voices and the noise is a constant distraction. They multiply, intensify. They will divert your attention to what's convenient and forget to tell you about yourself. Uh, it goes on like this for another like 30 lines or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the idea being that like this is the way to like strip away all the distractions, put your phone away, don't record us, don't mm-hmm. tweet. The people be on their phones these days. That's bad. <laughs> Got to recenter ourselves, be present in the moment. And there is this sort of like the whole aesthetic is this like fucking Helvetica and black and white, really yeah. like brutal, straightforward images. But I, I'm a fucking sucker for this. I can, I can say that <laughs> outright. Um. So yeah, just like it takes itself very seriously. I just think with the intensity and the angularity and the actual fucking like energy and thrust behind it 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 pulls it off and that's something that like most of the time when you get this like <laughs> it's far too full of itself and it doesn't fall it doesn't work yeah yeah i feel like a lot of the um i associate this aesthetic um not necessarily the helvetica black and white part but the like put away your phones part in rock music with like um jack white uh-huh. and yeah yeah the, like the way that he'll just, he's just spent a decade just being mad at everybody and wearing a dumb hat. Um, <laughs> and I say this as someone who, like, I think the first couple White Stripes albums are, like, classics. Yeah, um, but that's not even the thing that he's doing now. And, like, there's a there's a no. very different, there's a stark difference in vibe between the Jack White, which was like, uh, fuck it, let's just make a thrashy rock record, and the Jack White's that's, no, I'm an auteur now. Yeah, like, I own the record label, and I, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, no, like, this, um, I, I, I just had a thought about it, and then I started talking about Jack White, and I totally lost my thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like, um, they've got the energy and, like, like, the musicianship that can kind of back up how seriously they take themselves. It doesn't yeah. come off corny, ever, um. This is, like, um, I need to listen to this album in the car. I think that's the place where, like, I, like, because I've listened to this album two and a half times now, and it's super fucking good, but the thing that I know will make it even better is, like, driving down the highway with this on, which is weird because they're a British band. I I don't think they're making (laughs) songs to drive to, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, this is not music to drive down American highways to, but somehow it works. Somehow it works. Um, I didn't... um, I spend a lot of time with this album just kind of like... I spend a lot of time with the music and the, like, of this album, I have not spent a lot of time with the lyrics. What are I? What are they getting at? Um, so I glibly, yeah, I glibly said they were talking about the city and fucking, and that's like I'm not... looking at the lyrics for cities full, and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing. Um, there's a lot of like, uh, I'm trying to trying to remember. There's a lot of stuff about sex is escape sex is confusion like there is like minor gendery stuff but it's more just like psychological psychosexual release and chaos there is a lot of um like relationship drama i'm just trying to think the, the uh like hit me is basically an snm song um yeah S- uh hit me is the one that like i was like oh okay all right <laughs> That was the one where I listened to the words a little more because I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just like the husband for me is the one where it, like it's 
fully on the surface. So woke up in the night, saw the face of a guy. I don't know who he was. He had no eyes. <laughs> um, so this is one of those lyrics. The next line is one of those lyrics that I always thought it was his present made me feel ill at ease. Um, but that's Jenny Beth's weird French cadence for saying his presence made me feel elated <laughs> and just like... <laughs> So, oh, wait, hang on. Is that the Google pull? No, I did hear it correctly. The Google pull got it from someone who transcribed it incorrectly. Fuck that. Um, his presence made me feel ill at ease. He sung the final hour. He sung the final hour of my sleep. God, I want to get rid of it. My house, my bed, my husband's. Um, like, this is about, yeah, the, like, intimacy and when it fucks with you and gets inside you and makes your stomach churn and like rattle around your brain um and that's what a lot of the tracks like a lot of the best moments on this tracks are tracks like she will tracks like husbands tracks like um i am here which are like very like in in its own head um and like very directed at romantic sexual partner um autumn has just linked me (laughs) the Crusty meme saying, bro, what the fuck are Cocteau Twins saying? (laughs) There's a little bit of that quality to this record, which is something that I like about Cocteau Twins. I don't actually usually want to know what they're talking about. No. Um, And like everything that uh, Savages is singing about sounds interesting, but it's got a little bit of a, bro, what the fuck are they saying? I'm just trying to vibe right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um... But, I mean, the vibe is a good vibe because, again, it's, like, very, like, women fucking figuring out how to live mm-hmm. thing. That's the, the, like, that's the energy I get out of it. And it's, like, yeah, th- th- there was, like, a, a time when 17-year-old me was like, just, like, hadn't listened to enough punk and hadn't listened to any Riot Girl and was just, like, oh, well, these women doing all these weird things with their voices. <laughs> And now it just makes perfect sense to me because, like, I have a context for this that just, like, situates this so brilliantly. And um, it's just, it's exactly what I hope it is every time I go to it. Yeah. Um, we got an email in from Joao, um, and we'll circle back around to this email because it's more about Doom. But they did have a question about um, Savages, which is, like, ha- and I hadn't drawn this connection until I read their uh, his email. Um how do you feel about the punk feminist movement of the 90s, specifically thinking about bands like Riot Girl and their legacy? Um, I, like, for me, Bikini Kill was a revelation. And I definitely, as soon as I read that email, I started to hear a lot of Bikini Kill in this album, you know? Yeah. The the the, the points of reference to me is, like, Kim Gordon's Sonic Youth stuff, which isn't the same thing, but it's, like, got that ethos that she becomes. Yeah, it's adjacent. It becomes a sort of iconography for it. And Mm -hmm. for me, Slater Kinney is just like, they are that, but so much more as a band that I like can't help but be in love with them in the same way. Like, there is so (laughs) much incredible Rygol music. And obviously, like, we've all played Gone Home. We've all listened to that Bikini Kill tape. Um, But on a a (laughs) basic... To be clear, I got into Bikini Kill before I played Gone Home. Yeah, yeah, so... yeah. We've 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 all done the the I, the I was into it before it got put in a video game stick. It's just <laughs> there's the version of that when it's on the the uh, the 2K soundtrack, and there's the version of it like where it was in an indie game walking simulator. Yeah, you know what? Okay, you're right about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So like, this is the thing. Like, 
it's almost a, a a weird reaction. I say this entirely as a a white person that like, oh no, we can't really reclaim the 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 sort of like Pacific Northwest punk movement of the nineties because it's very white and very white feminist, and like that's entirely true. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it did the thing it was trying to do really fucking well. Mm-hmm. And for the time historical moment it was in, I'm willing to take what I can out of it, like at face value to some degree. And that like, obviously like actual histories complicate that in all sorts of interesting ways. And I'm not going to tell, like I haven't done the reading on that scene in the same way I've done the reading about others, about like the mm-hmm. like new wave stuff in seventies New York and into like disco and avant-garde stuff in eighties New York. And that's the stuff that I've like got sitting in the back of my head when I think about scenesy stuff. But like, yeah, you can go digging and finding the stories you want if you wanted to, I'm sure. And just in terms of like even the most superficial look, superficial look at that that moment and that movement is just really fucking gratifying because it is very much yeah. just like the people using people who had been historically excluded from rock music finding the tools of rock music really powerful for saying and doing the shit they really want to do, which I just love. Yeah, yeah. Um, like. Like, I don't think Bikini Kill is, like, still my favorite band, but there was, like, the month that I found out about Bikini <laughs> Kill, it, they became my favorite band, you know? Yeah. Like, they just the had sc- a way of, like, taking over your life a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's so easy for those artists to become your favorite band in a in yes. a really, really natural way. I, I also think, um, um, I had a little bit of this phase with X, um, which is an 80s punk band uh, fronted by... I, uh John Doe and Exeline Exley, I think. Mm. Um who also I think like I can hear a lot of Exeline in um uh in Jenny Beth's voice. Um Yeah. Which if people haven't seen um what's the damn movie called? Uh The Decline of Western Civilization. They're heavily featured in that movie. That's how I'll, I found out about them when I was like fifteen and yeah. yeah I just had nice. a phase where I was like, Oh yeah, X, the best band ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just for people who don't know, because I need to remind myself, the kind of Western Civilization is about the LA punk scene? The first movie is about Los Angeles punk, the second movie is about uh LA hair metal. And the first movie is way more affectionate toward um like the people it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, the first movie is like, ah, oh, look at all these punks. Like they're really struggling. They're really going through it. They're all kind of weird. Some of them have died, but, um, like these are interesting people. And, um, the decline of Western civilization too is about hair metal. And it is just like one of the most, like, I fucking despise all of these people. It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. I'm glad that exists. The very, I, I, Hey, I don't know what the film's actually like, but like, <laughs> I'm glad that there is someone trying to kneecap hair metal. I think it's, it was Jewett. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and like, and in the moment too. Not like as a. It's easy for all of us in 2021 to say, "Yeah, fuck all those people." But like, someone saying it in like, whenever that movie came out, like 1991, that was different, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <clears throat> so yeah, j- looping all the way back to this album. Yeah, the album like- that we're here to talk about. <laughs> exactly. We we did a nice little sidetrack there, but like, are there bits and pieces you want to bring out? Because like. This album is simple in its construction, right? There is yeah. guitars. They're mm-hmm. usually just one, honestly. This is an album that I've seen them live and they sound live very much like what they sound like on the record because it's mostly just single guitar. 
the guitar is huge and massive and overwhelming, but it's usually just single guitar, bass, mm-hmm. drums, and voice. That's it, pretty much. Um, and just I, like I like, yeah, I like the moments on this album. My my favorite thing about this album is that they go hard on every track, but um, like I like the uh, the tracks where they pull back a little bit. Um, the closing track "Marshall Deer" is good, and I think the interlude um, "Dead Nature" is really fucking good. Mm. Um, which is like a much quieter record. Um, it's just like it's it's weird to hear something so like. So something so um, restrained on this record that like starts the way that it does, you know? Yeah, yeah. And to be clear, the record starts with a small clip from like a fifties movie. I can't remember exactly what. Opening um, night, directed by John Cassavetes from the seventies, actually. <laughs> he, ah, then he, there we go. Someone I pulled a, this up a minute ago because I was curious while we were yeah. talking. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's like a quite cute bit of dialogue, which is uh, again just like th- in terms of thematic reference, it's about like women knowing what's up between each other. That's the vibe I get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it launches into one of the best baselines ever fucking written. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, the bass playing on this record is just incredible. Again, like super spiky super aggressive super distorted just like they they don't go half on the tones at all um yeah there are a lot of rock records like this that kind of like bury the bass in the mix and i think often on accident Mm -hmm. uh this record does not do that yeah like it it, like i said it literally just has two things to get in the mid-range and it's got squealing guitar which it usually just lets fill up the top of the track and it's got a bass line that means they can just like properly sit and like fucking thump you in the stomach every time it hits and there are just just in terms of the writing there are just like shut up is an incredible moment when it enters but like that's just a beautiful moment and the track's built around it in a really excellent way um i am here is follows that up with an even better bass line somehow it's so good (laughs) that the hooks are incredible yeah is is cities full the like is that the single because i feel like i've heard this melody somewhere no, um, the singles are, um, Husbands, She Will, I Am Here. Um, weird. I don't know. I'm a, maybe I'm mixing it up with some other song, but I heard it. I was like, where, I heard this before. Yeah, no, I, I don't no. know, but, um, it's just a very fucking good, um, good lead line. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, that, like, and that's three, uh, three tracks in a row, which are just like full, like, up-tempo straightforward rock music with minimal amounts of like there is there are like cities full finally starts to get like lulls where like you get a slightly cleaner guitar tone and slightly more Mm. spacious uh, like spacious pieces to just like open the texture up a little bit and give you some of the respite but it still just drops back into like big thick arrangements and thrashy thrashy moments yeah yeah i feel like um they layer a lot of um reverb on her voice to kind of make up for like how not spacious the rest of it is yeah exactly yeah and and so like there are moments when the guitars are like what the guitar line even is like super upfront like often kind of chuggy um Mm -hmm. but then like the thing that i love about is it Gemma anderson is that a name i think so uh i've forgotten top of my head if that's correct but i didn't hear what you said sorry um the name of the guitarist Gemma. 
uh, something. Oh, yeah. I think it's Anderson. I'm Whatever. Mad at this. Yeah. <laughs> we do research. We do minimal research. Um, yeah, I do most just, of the research during the podcast. Exactly. This is what makes it fresh and live and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like the guitar tones range between like there are moments on. It, it, she's so flexible with her tone because like a track like um, City's Full goes between like completely clean moments in those spacious sections between just mm-hmm. like roaring lead lines and then just like straight just feedback noise like delay pedal and overdrive and that just like squeals and fills the top end of the track in like that like swells around the back of your brain um the thing that i keep coming back to this record for is the noise stuff the the um the feedback noises and atonal bits are just like uh, that's I think the thing that marks <laughs> me out is just like they've nailed the tones and um, textures on this in a way that very few other rock acts do. Yeah, I think it's just like a remarkably well produced thing. Yeah. Um, and like I think especially in the 2010s, no, nah, not the 2010s. In the 2000s, there's a lot of rock that is like really badly produced to make some sort of statement. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we all heard lo-fi when it happened. <laughs> and now Ariel Pink's a Trump supporter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> this reminds me of something, but I don't know if I... A, a future guest told me um, her pick of, like, 2000s alt-rock stuff, but I don't know if I should, like, tell you that right now, because that's, like two episodes from now so (laughs) anyway um what else do i have to say about this album um i'm trying to remember i I was gonna shout out hit me but we already shouted it out that's good fucking song yeah just the it just starts it starts and then it doesn't (laughs) it starts and then it keeps going for a minute and 40 seconds and then you're done by the end of it we love a 38 minute album. We fucking love that shit. <laughs> yeah, no, that, it, like there's a there's a straight up intensity to this that just like there there are there are like interludes, but the interludes are tense, and there is Marshall Deer, which is a cool closer, and then apart from that, it's just smashing you in the face with guitar noises over and over again, which is a thing right. that I appreciate, frankly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. It, it's interesting you bring up like what directions do people go in uh, elsewhere from here which is like one is what well, savages had a follow-up album um the the last thing they put out was a 2016 album called adore life which i really mm-hmm. like it's just also tries to be a bit more of a uh, less of a post-punk record and more of a rock record like it's got slightly more songwriting to it it's got slightly more like space to it and slightly less desire to just keep smashing in the face i notice that it's okay well no never mind i was gonna say that it's like one minute longer and one song shorter you know yeah i I mean it's marginal differences but like yeah you, you get that vibe um yeah like there are still some like absolutely incredible bits and moments on it but it's like shiny and polished and expansive and glowy in a way that might actually like take away slightly from the emotional intensity that i get from how like like raw and 
raw R-A-W and roaring silence yourself is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think... Um, I'm trying to think of, like... Because this is, like, 2013, and I'm trying to think of, like, what's the state of rock music since 2013, and, like, what other, if people like this, like, what I would recommend them, like, that comes out after this? Because I've said so many things that come out before this, like... Yeah. The only thing I could think of is, like, the good car seat head record, car seat headrest records, not the mm. one that we talked about. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, so, that's I mean, it. Yeah, so I've got a couple, because there is definitely stuff in and around that I really like. One is Proto Mutter. Um, oh Proto- yeah, Proto Martyr's good. Yeah, Proto Martyr. They are a, I, I think, a very similar like four-piece vocal, bass, single guitar, and drums band from Detroit. Um, put out a bunch of incredible records. The last one was from the like 2020, which I really liked. I think the the one before that, Relatives and Descent, is special in a way that that one isn't. But like, their like bass level is super fucking good rock record and their peak moments are like political like like storytelling at the same time as some of the most incredible songwriter uh sorry the most incredible like thick emotive heavy raw edged rock music that i've heard in the fucking decade um can i can i be can i be this person for a moment Uh uh-huh um i really like because I, I learned about Proto Martyr in 2015 when Agent Intellect came out, and I like that record, but I don't love it the way that, like, it was hugely critically acclaimed. I have not listened to Relatives in Descent, but Constellation, the EP that comes out shortly after Relatives in yep. Descent, is super good. People should and check this- out Constellation. And I think specifically the reason we um, got started talking about female-fronted's post-punk and rock music was because of Kelly Deal being on... Uh, what I think is one of Proto Martyr's best tracks, which is Wheel of Fortune on that EP. Yeah, Kelly Deal of The Breeders, which is like one of the best bands of the 90s. Exactly, uh, yeah. Hugely underrated. Um, so yeah, this is the thing, like, of the the things that are coming out around this are like Slater Kinney's comeback record. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that was like, that was like the year that it was like, is punk, is like punk having a thing? And it was like, no, yeah. it's just this year was big. <laughs> exactly, know? yeah. Um, there are, like, other bands that I like that do similar things, but in different ways. Like, if you're into the more, like, noise and spacey bit of it, my genuinely all-time favorite band is Deer Hunter. Um, and they go from the sort of, like, they go, they never get this, like, angular and upfront. They've always got a, a fair bit more reverb on their guitars. But they go between, like, um this kind of post-punky stuff on their older work, which is, like, I think Microcastles <laughs> and Weird Era continue to, the, like, for me, the masterpieces in there, like, very post-punky. Through to, like, Monomania is a basically a classic rock record, like an attempt to write a 60s classic rock record. Um okay. like a Like a latter-day um, Velvet's record, basically. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you like the sound of that. Um, Halcyon you Digest- You know I love Velvet's. Yeah, um, Halcyon Di- Digest is sort of like a middle point between the two um, and is just impeccably well written and I think got sh- shifted, uh, well, sorry, got like, sorry, shift, shifted? Shafted on a lot of the end of the decade list because it came out in 2010, but mm. was like acclaimed at the time. I still think it's one of the best records of the decade. It's, yeah. So like, again, this is all still going back to like a 
2008 to 2014 period. But, like, that, this was a moment where stuff like this was cool and exciting. And I think there was there are cool places to go from here that aren't simply just, like, well, let's look for old post-punk. Um, I'm just... I'm just going to say that I didn't know your favorite band ever had an album called Turn It Up, Faggot, and I'm kind of disappointed we didn't name the podcast that a little bit. <laughs> See, the problem is everyone disowns that record. No one wants to talk about it anymore. They try not to sell it. <sighs> um, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about, like a tiny bit about Deer Hunter, which is they, um, their front man is a guy called Bradford Cox. Bradford Cox is ambiguously gender queer slash just mm-hmm. does weird draggy fuckery he also has a disability called marfan syndrome which uh, is a connective tissue disorder makes him look incredibly gaunt incredibly skinny incredibly like <laughs> the stereotypically weird to look at and mm-hmm. he carries it so well with such a like a, a str- like an, a strange authority to him. Um, and he's one of my favorite people who's ever been in rock music, and like has all of this sort of like weird in your own head, um, like introspective stuff about queerness lurking in the background of very cool rock records. So. Of course, I like this shit. <laughs> uh, um, but at the same time, it's very, like, I just think it's also a band who nailed texture and tone and so occasionally also, well, not occasionally, like, frequently songwriting as well. Um, all in this sort of, like, between noise rock and post-punk and indie rock stuff. So, yeah, that's the sort of, like gang of things to look at if you're after more savages things, I'd say. Should we, should we move along? I think we should move along. Yeah. I knew you was in around. Playing all innocent, hoeing since the foundation Don't make me have to pound this tin crown facing And risk being jammed up like traffic inbound from spacing There's been a place for you in my heart since we first met A teenage love that didn't feel no hurt yet My boys warned me you was poison like BBD first cassette And still I put my chips on the worst bet Gave up the skirt, now I got a hair from the street How dare you drag my name in the dirt and cheat You could've broke it off, ended it in dip And if you spoke us off, we could've still preserved the friendship Now you apologize that's what they all say You wasn't sorry when you sucked them off in the hallway But have it your way, raw, no foreplay That's you if you wanna do to wear a mask all day And just think, I used to be proud of you And you had some real good power Later that evening, I should be early Matter of fact, give me back my bracelet and my sherling I'd rather waste it, or give it to your girlfriend She did let me stab it last week while you was working Remember, I vacation out to Maryland I duped the maid, Carolyn, she made me throw the towel in Like all foul men, the time I hit your arms off I told her knock it off, but she had to set the rocket off Ain't enough room in this f***ing town When you see Tin Head, tell him be ducking down I'm not romping around. He better be ready and prepared to be stomped in the ground. Okay. I gotta. Okay. I'm gonna do this spiel about MF Doom. 
I'm gonna just collect myself. Got to figure out the way. I know how to. I know how to start this. Okay. So, MF Doom, Mad Villainy. So, ah, I'm. Yeah, I'm just emotional thinking about Doom. I need to collect myself and host the podcast. <laughs> Honestly, in moments like this, I think it's just okay to be slightly in your feelings. That's just a thing that we all are in this in this sort of circumstance. MF Doom has been a rapper. Uh, MF Doom was a rapper who has been around rap music, New York rap music, since the very early nineties. Um, uh, the so he was part of a group with his brother, uh, Sub Rock. Um, the group was called the. His brother was named Subrock. The group is called KMD. They put out one album in 1991, Mr. Hood, and then they were going to put out another album in 1992, I believe. Um, shortly before finishing the album, um, Subrock died uh, in, a, in a car accident. Um, and Doom, then going by the name Zev Love X, like, had made, like, um, there's a lot of, like, five percenter stuff five percent nation on um black bastards and because of that and because um the album art uh had a sambo figure getting hung hanged on it um like the record company cut him shelved the album gave him his masters back but like doom disappears for a number of years that's in 1992 i believe um uh 1998 with operation doomsday when did operation doomsday come out yeah Um, 1999 it says here i pulled up the actual operation doomsday (laughs) (laughs) 1999 april 99 um comes back and he's got he wears a mask now um he's got like there's a little bit of this on the kmd records but he's like sampling like old cartoons and like old movies and he's like kind of making these like sound collages and he's like sampling Sade and he's um, like he's a new guy. Operation Operation Doomsday is like he's a new rapper he's a new person he's gonna wear this mask he's gonna be like um, difficult to like kind of understand in a lot of ways and it's amazing (laughs) operation doomsday is amazing and from that from 1999 to about 2005 um doom just has this incredible run of just like he's putting out projects under various different names he's collaborating with a lot of different people he just does a lot of like amazing music um take me to your leisure Take Me to Your Leader by King Ghidra, Vaudeville, Vaudeville Villain by Victor Vaughn, Mmm Food um, as another solo album. And then in this run, he does, he collaborates with Mad Lib, um, who produces every track on this album called Mad Villainy. Uh, and it is like pretty widely accepted to be Doom's like classic, like, and, and Mad Lib's classic. Like Mad Lib is like, one of the most prolific producers of the la- of hip hop history, um, and like this is like this is everybody's favorite Madlib record and everybody's favorite Doom record. This is just 
everything you want out of these two artists. They're operating at like the top of their game. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> um, after that period from like 2000, after that period from like 2000 to 2005, Doom st stayed prolific throughout the rest of his life, but like kind of slowed down a little bit. The reason that I wanted to bring Mad Villainy here today was because um, Doom passed away in October of 2020. His wife announced it um, December 31st, 2020. And so, yeah, we're here to talk about Mad Villainy. Um, it's just... <laughs> I'll, I'll say one last thing and then I'll let you talk a little bit, which is just that, like, I have been listening to this album for like over 10 years like is just one of my favorite albums um yesterday was the first time in a long time that like i really there's like i didn't let it wash over me i just like sat down last night and i just listened to all of mad villainy from like from a, uh is it accordion is accordion the first song whatever it is there's an um, intro skip but yes yeah the illest villains um from illest villains to rhinestone cowboy just like listened to it i was like looking up like what they were sampling i was looking up lyrics but that's really all i was doing was listening to it it's so fucking good holy shit <laughs> yeah yeah so like I let I said I let slip. I said very explicitly on the Christmas podcast that the reason I got into Raid was watching a Boondocks episode where Raid plays over. It wasn't um, Huey in a in an anime fight. It was the Wansler Junior trying to kidnap Oprah in a book signing. That was the thing in the Boondocks that was happening. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. um, and this track played, and I was like, what, what was this? Um, and 13-year-old me learned how to listen to rap music over the next six months. This album taught me what rap music is and could be, pretty much single-handedly. So um, when I was young, the UK like had this weird, conflicted relationship with American rap music, where like in some quarters it was really like hyped, in some places it was like a kind of crossover music but like you got very very little of that you got a limited amount of Kanye and you got a lot of 50 Cent and that was about it and then for a long time American rap music just didn't play on British radio it didn't play on British TV the, the only time I got exposed to it was when I went out of the country and international stuff was playing more American stuff than British channels out of the thing I got in step was grime and the grime's fucking great and it's an entirely different art form and style and there's this weird slight like weird convergence in Doom's later career that he uh, was born to American parents but was born in London uh, ended up never getting American citizenship and then because ICE fuck ICE didn't let him back yeah. in the country when he went travelling internationally midway through his career he settled in London later in his career and started taking on little British tons of phrase and stuff in his, his rapping like occasionally pushed in that direction with the music and that was like a cool thing to like as a British rap fan to, to hear coming out of but like bottom yeah. line was I did not have a, a, an, an, a proper understanding of like what rap was as an art form until I stumbled ass first into hearing Raid in a cartoon show <laughs> 
and obviously it fucking blew my mind. Like it is yeah, incredible yeah, music. Yeah, in an amazing way. To... Yeah, um, it's still like with almost certainly my favorite piece of rap, uh, like single rap track ever. Like there are very few things that come close to it. Um, yeah, that... yeah. That beat's so fucking good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But th this is exactly the thing. Is it like what were the things that this taught me rap was about? Like. It had a sense of character. Oh, that's a phone call. Give me one second. How do you hold heat and preach non-violence? He about to start speech, come on, silence. On one scary night, I saw the light. Heard a voice that sound like Barry White, said, sure you're right. Don't let me find out who tried to bite. They better off going to fly a kite in a firefight during tornado time with no coat than I caught ya. Wrote the book on rhymes, a note from the author. With no headshot, he said it's been a while. Got a breadwinner style to get an inner child to finna smile. And that's no exaggeration. The doctor told the patient, it's all in your imagination, Negro. Ah, what do he know about the buttery flow? He need to cut the ego, tripping To date the metal fellow, been ripping flows Since New York plates was ghetto yellow with broke blue writing This is too exciting Folks leave out the show feeling truly enlightened They say the villain been spitting enough lightning The rock shock the boogie down the bright Alright then Smoking and getting by. Thanks, rap. I ain't got a dime. Got me sneaking out of checkout lines with bottles by the wayside. Smack them in the face, let them taste pride. Face try, hit the washed up like the short lines. Do a die ride, how the dip turn. Street turns, keep me in this dirt like a nerf worm. Woody spit hits and burns where brothers ever learn. Word for word, champ with a nerve, meeting the germs. I was at what what did this album teach me rap music was so like there is yes. a, an immense amount of character work going on here like it gets introduced with like cartoon snippets sl spliced together from a bunch of different places that try and like reconstruct and tell the story of these like two villains who like are emerging in the underworld to come and like blow everyone's brains with their, their mad villain skills um, <laughs> and, and that, that's just like a, a like a low hum sitting through the whole album is like not only just like self-aggrandizement but just like a real sense of character and a real sense of the, like a personal perspective that this was all coming from even if that perspective is like completely fictitious and like kind of ludicrous and ridiculous um yeah. the it also like the, the i having only ever heard like 50 cent beats before this just like mm. the musicality to this just like exploded my brain um I, 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 you mentioned Operation Doomsday. I went back to Operation Doomsday over the last couple of days just to like relearn it, recontextualize it all for myself. And there are a bunch yeah. of like Doom made beats on that record that like stand out as like, oh, I can see where this came from in a weird way. There, are, I'm trying to let's pull it up and see if I can find the track. Um, 
Yeah, which one is it? Tick Tick, which is a collab with MF Grimm, who is uh, they share a, like a prefix to their to their artist names. He's uh, like a fellow rapper and visual artist as well, who basically Doom lived with for a couple of years in that like intervening period between between like not being Zephyr of X anymore and starting to be MF Doom. Like they like supported each other and work with each other artistically they got a bunch of collaborations together as well that is a beat that like feels seasick feels drunk um it like speeds up and slows down in all sorts of weird ways and the like the 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 lines are there they're rapping like flow in all sorts of weird contortions over the top of it and like latch on and like it's only now that i really understand how much of a master of a pocket doom is like yeah. The, the the beats that um, Madler puts together for this record are all over the place frequently. Um, often with that like incredible like skipping cadence to them, with those like imperfect loops, or with like interjections and like bits that poke out, or just because they're sampling like really like deep in the pocket of funk and soul and or even jazz and big band and film and cartoon soundtrack shit. It's all stuff that has that like wonkiness to it and that like it takes real skill and effort for Doom to fit around. And not only does he succeed in it, he does it in a way that like sells this. Like it's such a part of him as a rapper and him as a character that he like has this like swagger and an indifference to the beat around him that he like just seems to like slide all over it in this like slightly sloppy slightly like seasick fashion but that just feels in utter control all the time um yeah yeah and it's it's wrapped with a musicality that i'd never heard before and it's wrapped with a musicality that i judge everything else in relation to it set the standard (laughs) for me at such a high level that i keep coming back to it whenever i'm like well like every other rapper like Kendrick is the one who comes to mind he, he's not a master of the pocket in the same way Kendrick is an on the beat rapper much more upfront with the way he raps and like mm-hmm. you compare him to Doom and like there are some like technical things that he does that are astounding there are some internal rhyme scheme stuff that he does that's astounding but I don't even think he's got like a mastery of beats in the same way Doom does and that's like the best rapper of this current generation and I don't think he quite yeah. nails the ability to rap over like soul and jazz stuff in the same way Doom does yeah um so, you know, um, the way that I came to rap music was, like, when I was, I think, um, 12 or 13 years old, I was starting to, like, really get into music in general, and I was, like, looking at all the stuff I was listening to, and I was just like, oh, I listen to, I don't listen to any rap music, like, I'm gonna go do that, and so I was, like, hanging out, I was, like, I must have been 13 or 14. Because I, I remember the forum I was hanging out on. I was like, what are some rap albums I should listen to if I've never heard rap albums? Which is a dumb question to ask, but whatever. You know, this is a question <laughs> you ask when you're 14. Uh, and people recommended me, like, Eminem, um, Jay-Z, and Doom. Which is such a weird fucking thing. I mean... But, like, <laughs> when you... Yeah, good. So, I get really... I I listened to some Eminem. I got really into Marshmallow's LP... Uh, and then I listened to a lot of Jay-Z, and I got into, I, from there, it was just like, oh, well, I'm gonna go listen to, like, other Jay-Z albums, I'm gonna go listen to other guys that were 
on Jay-Z's record label. Like, so I listened to a lot of stuff in that like New York like sphere, um, and particularly like the stuff that Kanye was producing in that early part of his career before he was a rapper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it gives you. I have in my head. Rap music is always going to, on some level, be um, like dudes rapping over um, like soul samples. Yeah. Um, that's just what it all is in my head <laughs> on some level. And so the first time that I was like, I think I think I listened to Mmm Food before I listened to Mad Villainy. Um, and I was I was at the CD store that was near my house. And I saw Mm Food, and I was like, oh, I remember someone saying I should check this out. And, like, it's still there. Like, it's still just a dude rapping over soul samples, but it's, like, such a different thing. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, and it just blew my fucking mind. Um, and, yeah, just then, like, going from there to going to Madlib, who I think Madlib is, like, one of the guys who sort of I think in the early 90s there was more of a like R&B and jazz like bent to a lot of hip hop and I think Madlib kind of pivots it and pivots everything into sampling soul music too mm-hmm. um and so like hearing him bring all these sounds together on Mad Villainy just like oh my god <laughs> I'm just I'm still in awe of this album like all yeah. these years later and I just think that like the production on this album is just like unmatched. I don't. I don't think Madlib has ever done anything this good, and I think that Madlib is fucking incredible. Yeah. And just like, yeah, like, have you heard Meat Grinder? Have you heard the way that Doom raps on Meat Grinder? I don't know what he's fucking talking about. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's astounding. So yeah, specifically on the production stuff, like, so there is a famous sound that I think Madlib and Dilla share and it's not about the wonkiness it's specifically about the compression that the yes. a- the Akai samplers of this era have this like compression setting that is like amazing for blowing out drums it likes it's because the the, the the like deficiencies the technical limitations of the sampler it down samples everything and gives it a bit of like crunch and like shine to it where a lot of old song samples lose the top end as the vinyl the case um, the other thing it does is give it this sort of weird pop to it. Um, so there are a ton, like, I listened back to this with producer ears now, and hear so many moments with these, like, snares that have this, like, booming reverb. Um, this, like, reverb that pops out the, that pops out the speakers. And it's, it's just a sense of imbalance and cartoonishness that just doesn't happen in Kanye beats. Like, there is the mm-hmm. model of the, the uh, Kanye beat, which is, like, beautiful and are like brilliantly balanced in a in a way that this isn't like a Kanye beat for a Jay-Z record uh, is just like it's so perfectly like precise in a way even when it sounds like it's chopping stuff up it's pre- chopping stuff up in a precise way in quite a tidy way and the thing aesthetically that I find that even when like they do wonkiness in different ways they do rhythm in different ways but like the thing that Madlib and Dilla share for me is that like booming like pulsating um, dynamics just from the, the the hardware they're using and the way they push it that just like gives this such a like a like a, a like a, a weird vitality and a messiness and like I like I said cartoonishness that like feeds the character and the energy and this like larger than lifeness so much I think about a track like Bistro which is this yeah. 
weird ass beat that's like recreating like piped music in a, a shitty Italian restaurant or something. I don't even know. <laughs> um, with like, with like, how do you do? Samples like chucked in all over it, and it's like, oh, it it's uh, the way of making this feel this like inane stuff feel simultaneously alien but also really alive and active and present and vital. It's just like. There's a skill to that, and then also a skill that Doom has in, like, not being overawed by the challenge of trying to rap on these, like, completely spiky, weird, awkward beats. Yeah, it can't really be overstated the way in which that Doom makes everything seem effortless. Yeah, 100%. Um, like, it just seems like he's barely trying all the yeah. time. And, th- and this is the thing, <laughs> Which is like, entirely, like, because when he's a producer everything is like super duper produced he's very specific about everything as a rapper he's not like he's not jay-z he's not like like half writing half improvising things like he's all everything is deliberately constructed it's just that doom is so fucking cool that you think that he didn't do any of it ahead of time (laughs) the the ability to make work seem like not work is an incredible testament to the skill and artistry of someone it's so good yeah um Um, and i I can just do this in comparison because i for the first time in fact went back to some of the victor vaughn stuff which is mf doom the character nominally is the 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 super villain who has the real name Victor Vaughn, uh, Victor Vaughn, mm-hmm. Victor Vaughn, something produces the alias Victor Vaughn. Um, yeah. And and the uh, the uh, was listening to Full Villain today and just like comparing some of the other stuff that some of the featured artists do on that and like you can tell that trying to match Doom in his cadence and particularly his internal rhyme schemes because they are so dense and so complicated. People are working at the very limit of their capability just to keep up in the style and that uh, like. <laughs> It's so impressive that he's he's so consistent and so elaborate. Like the the one rapper I think who we've listened to recently who does match this is Kurt, who's got the same ability to just like yeah. maintain this sort of like sense of both like flow and indifference to the beat by just like owning a pocket, and then also the ability to like sustain internal rhyme in a really complex ways so so effortlessly. Again, because he's an incredible writer. I just don't think he's got the, like... He's got an incredibly different style and just isn't interested in, like, wordplay and, like, joke and punchline in the same way that Doom is. Yeah, I think, um... This is, like, a comparison that got made all the time back in the day, but, like, I think the early Earl Sweatshirt stuff does this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think he's just not interested in doing it anymore. I think he's interested in actually improvising stuff, which is interesting, I think. Yeah, and, like, there are artistic reasons that you would not want to make a Doom-sounding, like, rap record now. Yeah. Um. But the thing, um. I, I had one more thought going off of, like, something you were saying earlier, is that, like, one of the in- one of the really interesting things that I recently learned about Doom, I was listening to a podcast, um, that came out after his passing, and, like, it sounds like, by all accounts, um, before he passed, like, like, what am I trying to say? Um, that Subrock was really involved in the production of the KMD stuff, <laughs> and Doom would make this like really sloppy stuff. Like, there's like a, a lot of famous anecdotes about Dilla not quantizing stuff, and I wouldn't be surprised if Doom didn't either. Yeah, and no, so, it's like, almost certainly not. Like, there were certainly bits where there's like clearly 
no quantizing happening because it's just completely off the grid entirely. Yeah. Yeah, and so Doom would make these like really like left field, like weird beats that he would not clean up at all. That were like really sloppily thrown together, and then he would like give them to Subrock, and Subrock would make them like good enough to take to the record label, basically. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and like clean everything up, and like you get to Operation Doomsday, and like there's no one there anymore to tell him to do that. <laughs> and um. Like, yeah, like, there's just, like, Meat Grinder is, like, the one that people talk about a lot. Like, there's a million fucking YouTube videos about the rhyme density of Meat Grinder or whatever, but, um... I'm sure, like... I bet you Vox is working on a video right now about it. That fucking Vox video is, like sparked a whole genre oh of my god it, videos. That, that's the one that exists already that they're fucking doing a second follow-up video about a different madeline track i'm sorry yes. yeah and like there's a there are whole youtube channels dedicated to this now like rapgenius.com has ruined everything <laughs> um the only site to get rec- uh to get lyrics from but also the, the like absolute nadir of internet culture simultaneously yeah it's it what if tv tropes thought it was important I mean, yes. I know TV Trips thinks it's important, but... Yes! Know. Oh, no! <laughs> anyway... Get him! Anyway... Get him! <laughs> Meat Grinder is just so good! <laughs> and, like... Like... I don't know how he does that. I don't know how... Like... I don't know how he does any of the stuff that he's doing on Meat Grinder. Um... Kinda dripping off the meat grinder, heat niner, pimping, stripping, soft, sweet minor. China was a neat sign of trouble with the script digits, double dip, bubble lip, subtle list, midget. Borderline schizo, sort of fine tits, though, quarter wine, order grind, quarter to nine, let's go. Ever since 10 11, glad she made a brethren. Then his last down, seven alligator, seven abdicates to heaven, knocking, no answer, slow dancer, hopeless romancer, dopest flow stanzas, yes, no, villain, metal face to destro, guess so, still. Incredible in escrow. Just say ho, I'll test the yayo. Wild West style, flesh y'all best to lay low. Hey bro, day glow, set the bet, pay dough before the cheddar get away. Best to get Mako. The worst hated god who perpetrated odd favors demonstrated in the perforated rod labors. In all quad flavors, large savers. Still back in the game like Jack LaLanne Think you know the name, don't rack your brain On a fast track to half Zane either in a slow beat or that to speed Or at the cane, ladder, pain Throwing songs lit in the booth With the best host Doing bong hits on the roof in the west coast He's at it again, mad at the pen Glad that we win a tad fat in a bad hat for men Grind the cinnamon, Manhattan warmongers You can find the villain in satin Gongas, the van screeches The old man preaches by the gold sand beaches, the cold hand reaches for the old tan Elises. Jeez. <laughs> There's um a rapper that um uh Doom gets compared to sometimes is Ghostface Killer. And 
Um, there's an interview I read with Ghostface one time where he's talking about his the song he did called Nutmeg, where he's rapping about like absolutely nothing, just like like stringing together nonsense words, um, and like he gets really defensive when he talks about the song because like I invented that, I invented rapping about nonsense, and like now everybody does it, and he's clearly just talking about doom because no one else does this. No. <laughs> does this except for Ghostface and Doom. Yeah. But also, no one else is as good at a rapper as either of them. Yeah. D- Doom just does, like, freeform punchlines that he constructs setups out of thin air from. Like, yeah, he's just so good at, like... Again, I think the character stuff just helps with this, because, like, if there is a tether, it's just to, like, some weird cartoon character... Well, like... Um, comic book nasty shit and that's just like a fun place to come back to and set a tone for these like just like complete riffs into nonsense that just works so well yeah I think this I think the supervillain persona like helps him get away with a lot of this stuff where like I don't know if he was like a regular rapper I'd be like what the fuck's he talking about like I don't know what he's saying at yeah. all but like He's Doom. He's like the weirdo. Like he already presents himself as the weirdo. There's all these like comic book and like Frankenstein movie trailer samples on everything already. Sure, let's like. He's just gonna say nonsense for two and a half minutes, and it's gonna be the best rap song ever. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if it's that, but it's so good. Yeah. Uh. So good. We gush, but it needs gushing about because like, no, seriously, this is the, this is the one. Yeah, um, I remember when I was a teen, I would always get mad at how difficult it was to categorize Doom, just in the sense of like, oh, he's putting out, like, he's got a different alias on every project, and it's hard to, like, you know, <laughs> wrangle all of these things, and now it's just like, in, a, in the age of Twitter, it's like, no, I like that I can't, like, easily categorize all this music, and I can't, like remember all the aliases he had you know yeah no like there is a, a nice sense of like it would be against the doom ethos for him to just be like readily readable and accessible just like that's entirely not what his thing is about it's about like finding the pleasure and the exploration and the weirdness of all the nooks and crannies of the the i'd say lore it's not like there's lords of doom's character but just like following the sort of weird logic that he employs um, and just letting yeah. yourself be taken into that system rather than being like, no, Doom must make himself intelligible to me. Otherwise, there's something deficient about him. Yeah, there's like, at some point in the last year or two, his Twitter pivoted to like marketing stuff. But like, for years and years, you would just go to his Twitter account and it just said, Doom is not on Twitter. That was the <laughs> only tweet. Yes. Um. Oh, I wish that was still true. I wish Doom is not on Twitter was the only thing he'd ever tweeted. <laughs> God, yeah. Uh, there. Are we like coming to the end of the organic chat about this record? Or do you have other? Maybe. Yeah, I, I just want to shout out the one of the last couple of things that Doom was working on, maybe working on before he died. We don't actually know any of the timing for this. Um, we know that there's a Flying Lotus EP in the works that may or may not come out sometime soon. We'll see about that. Um, but the uh, the last thing that it like it was an official release is 
a bad bad not good collab called the chocolate conquistadors which is just like there's a the uh, original version of los conquistadores chocolates is a track by johnny hammond um it is one of my favorite sort of like boogie funk tracks of the like i think late 70s it is strange it is cartoonish and weird in a way that i didn't even know was just like a doom track in waiting and then, like, mm-hmm. got reconstructed by Baba Not Good, and Doom puts and like an entirely like fine but Doomish nonsense vibes over the top of it that works so perfectly. And it's just like, ugh, I don't know. Like, we we we've been talking about a sort of golden age that ended 15 years ago, and like, I'm not like I'm not into Danger Doom. I'm not into Norovian Doom in the same way I'm into the earliest stuff. No, but and, no, and that's like, just fine. Like, I, I do can't keep up keep yeah. up being like the best in the game for an absolute eternity. Like that's just okay. Just do what you're interested in. It's fine. But there yeah, were just like Norovian Doom. I thought was okay, but I really don't like Danger Doom at all. Yeah, neither. <laughs> I just don't seem to like Danger Mouse production that much for some reason. Yeah. But the um the idea though that there is like. A, a version of Doom that could have emerged in his late career. That there are versions of Doom that could have gone along with this like LA jazz fusion thing that's emerging in the last couple of years, the like brain feeder wave. Um, just the thought that that might have been possible with the same like Thundercat being the sort of like pseudo cartoonish post Doom persona that he is. Like the the possibility space was incredible to think about and then we don't we're only ever going to get glimpses of it and it just uh, as much as it's i'm i'm usually very stoic about this shit like sometimes people die and it's a fucking tragedy but like you we live we live on and Mm. just do what we do um it's an incredible counterpoint like to someone like bowie because like bowie handed him handed us his last work it would feel almost childish to wish for more Bowie after Blackstar. And yet with, yeah. Doom, yet with Doom, I almost feel like, no, I do. Some part of me, which almost never feels this way, wishes we got more bits of late career Doom. And that, like, you get, the, there are glimpses of it in tracks like Chocolate Conquistadors that just, like, remind me of what exactly he was so good at and could just, like, dip into at a moment's notice. There's a, there was a thing about becoming a Doom fan in the 2010s to where you were always kind of hoping for like the new big thing yeah. you know it, it, my entire fandom of Doom was always just like Google alerts to for MF Doom oh he had a feature on this I hope he's got an album coming soon oh he's got a feature <laughs> here oh he's got a feature here there's all these rumors that he's gonna do an album with Ghostface there's rumors that he's gonna do an album with this person and like he did the the Zarface album which I think is with which Zarface is Inspector Deck 7L and Esoteric and he did an album with them and I think that album is good but it wasn't like I wanted like the next Doom solo album or I wanted the next Mad Villain album and that that just never came and it's disappointing you know um and it also just means that, like, like Doom was this, like, sort of supervillain presence in my life that I was, like, following him for years, like, seeing where he would pop up, you know, and that's just, like, no rapper has that because no rapper is as secretive, you know, as yeah. Doom is. And even the rappers who are secretive in that way, all their stuff gets leaked, which is a different kind of exciting, but, like... <laughs> 
Yeah. It, like, no, no disrespect to like the Playboy Cardis of the world. It's just like a different thing that's I don't think ever going to exist in my life ever again. Yeah, and I try and think about rackers, uh, well, rackers, rappers who like got to this headspace for me, and like there was a moment where Jay Electronica might have been here. And I just oh yeah don't think that I'm interested in what Jay Electronica has to offer that much anymore. Did you did you listen to the to the Electronica album? Yeah, I tried and I just got bored. Unfortunately, it's so how how are you gonna let Jay Z show up show you up on your debut album? Everybody's been waiting for for like eleven years, and you let a fifty year old man show you up? Like yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. Um, strangely, it seems weird to say this in retrospect, but Pusha was one of these people. Um, yeah. Uh, Pusha, like, disappeared post-clips, became the sort of, like, inside guy in, in the, in the, like, uh, words escape me, fucking, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like the internet, like, like, cause... In that year, in those years between clips in the solo career and and becoming like the president of good music, good um, music—that's what I was groping for, failing to, failing yeah, to, yeah. Like push, push kind of disappeared at, right as the internet was becoming the internet that it is now. You know mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. Um, and those were those were really fun. That was a really fun time. Now push is just like, oh, he's just like this really consistent guy. He's gonna put something out every like year and a half two years and it's gonna be good and it's never gonna blow my mind the way that numbers on the boards does but like who cares yeah i mean this is the weird thing that like i was fine with the king push record and then it was the sort of like oh no we're waiting for the real push to come back and it took through two three years but then like detona drops and it's like this isn't my name is my name which i still hold as one of my all-time favorites but it my is my name might yeah no, my dude. name is my name is like a top 10 rap record like yeah. it's it's good <laughs> it's extraordinary uh, but th- this is the thing like Detona comes and it's like that is the like climax that's the thing that arrives it's the big statement piece the the like responds to the big statement piece from before and that like that's that's satisfying in a, as a sort of career arc even if I like don't need to love Detona in the same way I love my name is my name and it's just like uh, it's Kendrick and that's about it <laughs> like Kendrick is just doing, like, I fully expect something entirely different and entirely, like, I also don't think whatever Kendrick comes out with, like, I think the Black Panther project is probably instructive that whatever comes out, it's going to be so much more pop-ready and so much more, like, yeah, so, uh, so much more, like, big. There won't be the ability to have this, like, mystique about it because the internet will be plastered with it and the way you relate to it will be so tightly controlled and, like, directed that... It won't have the same feeling as like the the other ways in which you could relate to a rapper who's just like hiding in the shadows and in the background, waiting for a moment to just like blow your fucking mind. Well, the thing about Kendrick is that like I don't know. I listen to a lot of '90s rap and like uh, I listening to a lot of '90s rap means that you end up feeling like a certain way about like when a guy starts rapping about the five percent nation mm-hmm. um and i have like issues with it but it's like so removed from my own life that like it's fine um whereas like when kendrick starts rapping about like you know with like women not being as smart and cool as men are 
Um, it really, <laughs> like, like becoming a communist really ruined a lot of things <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I know you're because wrong. Because he, he really thinks that he's like a prophet, and that like he's gonna deliver people from something, and it's just like. I, I mean, he, it, to some degree for me, it also makes him a more nuanced and interesting rapper to critique, given that, mm-hmm. like, you can take a, you can take him off the pedestal. Put a pussy on the pedestal. Where there's a pussy joke in there somewhere, but... <laughs> <laughs> also, also, I never want to hear Kendrick Lamar say the word pussy ever again in my life. It's unbearable every time he does it. Yeah, he's not got the voice to say pussy, pussy in. Um... But yeah, like, there's something actually, like, really liberating about him not being the prophet of the new America, because, like, that America clearly didn't ever exist and clearly doesn't right now. And that, like, for all our, like, NPR pretensions, we just have different thoughts about what, like, the political content of that record looks like now. And so it becomes, like, a thing that you can engage with in an entirely different way. Like, what sort of world is he attempting to think through and from? And, like... Yeah, it's it just like I, I remember having Windows onto this, but like, um, is it? How uh, much? I need to pull up Butterfly's track listing again. Um, um, I'll just I'll. The thing for me with Kendrick is that like, it does make him an interesting artist to critique. But for so many years, I was not going to critique Kendrick. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. He was just, he was just my favorite rapper, and like. It was unthinkable that, like, like for so many years I was bought in on, like, whatever he was selling, and now that I'm not, it really, like, it has so changed my relationship to the whole thing that, like, it's weird. Yeah. No, th- th- it's it's exactly right. And it almost makes me love and appreciate Damn even more, because, like, I don't know if it makes Kendrick became a communist. I certainly don't expect that he did. But what I certainly do is I think that, like, he's adopted or at least, like, incorporated some of the, like, jaded bullshit that, like, we all collectively felt and dealt with the process in different ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the moment for me was, like, back when I was listening to How Much a Dollar Cost for not the first time, but maybe the third or fourth, being like, oh, wait, hang on. I know what South African politics is about. I know the sort of, like, arc that he wants to draw about, like, going to South Africa, seeing what, like poverty as produced by apartheid was and bringing that back to america with the lesson as like reflected with this jesus the uh, jesus metaphor but like uh, there is can i go theory bullshit for a minute here? yeah you always can go theory bullshit okay so there's a guy called frank wilderson frank wilderson is uh, a black social theorist and philosopher most currently most famous for his latest book which is called afro pessimism he is functionally the spokesperson for Afro-pessimism as a, as a theoretical and intellectual movement. And Afro-pessimism is a movement that holds basically that like all like uh, or, uh, all principles and expectations of normative liberal existence about like the equality and basic rationality and ethical standing of men it, like writ large in Western society are built off a mirror denial of that basic humanity to black people. That, like, there is a a necessary, like, exclusion from the category of human of black people in order to sustain sustain the, the, like, illusion of universal humanism among, like, the the white Western world. 
Um, right. It is specifically a theory that like privileges anti-black oppression and racism as like the crucial and in the terms of the theory ontological distinction between that and other sorts of stuff which happens within a world where people are granted humanity but in partial and contested ways whereas like anti-black racism functions to deny humanity on uh, mass to a whole bunch of people and this is an argument rooted in like ideas about what social death is and rooted in the relationship between social death and slavery and the like whether social death still occurs in the afterlife of slavery. Um, it's a really powerful theory. Um, it links to other aspects, like Fanon is one of the starting points of Afro-pessimist th thinking, but given he's like one of the people who talks very explicitly about blackness as a state of non-being. Um, this is like this one of the starting points for thinking in these terms. Um, I, and like the, this is inheriting a really serious and meaningful intellectual tradition. Frank Walderson as an individual sits in a really messy place because he's making these claims to be like paradigmatically like as a black man he is in a in a state of social death at the same time as being a like a second generation academic who like uh, is able to sell the impression of like a position of solidarity to people who are just not in the same social position as he is like there is a level on which either like I'm not certainly not the position to like tell people that Frank Wilderson is or is not in the position he claims to be but I really encourage people to there is an incredible review of the of the book by Nick Mitchell in the uh, Spectre magazine which sort of like does this sort of like positioning of who Wilderson is as a person and um, there are other other reviews that you can just do a bit of googling you'll find very similar critiques in a lot of big press um, the specific aspect, though, is Wilderson makes a big deal out of um, uh, the time he spent as a younger person in South Africa, where he worked as like, an American, but under apartheid in like restaurant kitchens and stuff like that, while being a like a visiting student in Johannesburg, and that like he talks very explicitly about like the unique kinds of solidarity or kinship that he can have with black folk who are also suffering under apartheid at the same time. And the like disunity he can have with people who are oppressed in different ways that that like are also suffering under apartheid but not in the way that black people are and that like throws up all these weird like internal problems about um uh, like that he basically disallows the possibility of solidarity with palestinians because like they are they they mm -hmm. don't have the same ontological status to their oppression that like black folk do which is a okay and it, it's an incredibly perverse way of like trying to work out who and what to have solidarity with it's just like they're, they're, they're just one example among many of the sorts of ways in which like the marxist interpretation even when like fully understanding of the way that racial capitalism works still won't go and make the same commitment that the the afro pessimism uh, afro pessimist might and so like i i bring this up only to say that like i came to Kendrick with this sort of like slightly inchoate, slightly unformulated sense of what racial capitalism did in South Africa, the, the like formation of like racial exclusion, like the complete social and like, well, the, the complete like dictated fascist arrangement of geography and space and living conditions, and then just like the rampant exploitation and expropriation that was happening in the country. I could I could have a sense of that and immediately on an intuitive level feel that the way in which Kendrick sort of up like 
I'm not going to say instrumentalized because it's clearly not for instrumental purposes that he talks about South Africa in that way. But it, it mm-hmm. certainly like has a has a sort of whiff of finding kinship in places where maybe that's that's just like I can accept that people will find kinship where I wouldn't wouldn't expect them to. But I also think they might find like a flattening of different aspects of the world that is just like intolerable to me as someone who's like understood and digested the way that I think that system works and this works within the relationship that like South Africa has uh, with race that the, that the United States has with race and that like having sat with us for longer I just like sit at a different place with different thoughts and that like <laughs> once upon a time there was no like I suddenly didn't have the theoretical toolset to deal with this at the time I don't think the popular or critical conversation had the critical tools to deal with this and still might not but like certainly like the the like engaged black critical press did at the time and made some of these critiques and were unfortunately sort of implicitly silenced because it wasn't cool to critique what was clearly the most impo- important and influential record of maybe still the decade and that like mm-hmm. black academia has these sorts of conversations have absolutely flourished and it's like a, a wonderful insight into it to be able to like drop in as, as someone who's like informed but not like not like doing this as their day to day and just like understand the contours of how this converse these kinds of conversations about the like the difference between um like solidarity and but also like the comparable like ontological status in the in that type of theory but also like that you can just do it as simply as like like positions of racialization and how they like transform and like drastically complicate the way that like any simple person could come and think and imagine how capitalism and indeed racial capitalism works um it's just fascinating and like really enriching to walk into those conversations now i just can't do that in the same way that that like we'd be asked to if we were presented with timber butterfly today um yeah i realize i've been talking for like many many minutes about that's completely not doomed. <laughs> it was interesting, though. <laughs> but hey, there we go. That was a diversion. Yeah. Um. Do you want me to lightheartedly distract you from this diversion we went on? I mean, d- do whatever you want, lighthearted or otherwise. <laughs> uh, Macklemore has a Trumps over freestyle that just came out. Oh dear God. <laughs> Does he have a line and it's like, I'm white, but I'm not a fascist. That makes me okay, I hope, probably. I, I bet that's the vibe. The the thumbnail... I'm really squinting at this thumbnail. He might be wearing a bush hat in this. I, I'm going and finding the Macklemore freestyle. Mm, you're making me do this. You're absolutely making me do this. Are we going to do this on the podcast right now? Yeah, I think we fucking have to. Um, <laughs> is this a way to remember MF Doom? <laughs> th- this is the I've, world he I've left sent behind. You the link. Yeah, no, I found it now. <laughs> this is how we Let have to remember him in the world he's left behind. All right, I'm ready whenever you are. Three, two, one, go. Oh, it says Irish. Irish. Okay. Right, okay. 50 grand, I get this on one take. Does Macklemore have 50 grand? Thrift Shop was very big. Big 
Blue lives matter. Talking shit about the riots. Double standard. Once the white folks went and shot it, they're patriots. No, those are terrorists, Brian. And all you liberals out there being silent. He did not. This is not a freestyle. He wrote no, this. No, no. more about animal rights and recycling and bicycling and the climate and toothpaste with iron. You two are complicit. You two getting brought up. Give it to you pro bono. This, you two are the what's problem. What's his deal? Why is he like this? I don't know. And to be clear, like, he's currently in the second part of this verse taking aim at, like, all these, like, white liberal cultural, like, iconography, like, consumption decisions is resistance shit. And no, like, you're just entirely indicative of this. Like, you are, uh, like, consumption decision is praxis. Uh, this is depressing. He, he wants this to be a hit, right? I mean, I think he wants this to be fucked Donald Trump. No one, no one is, he no one is playing. No. Yeah, no, he wants this to be the thing that the white people are comfortable playing when they go out and rally instead of fuck Donald Trump. Wait, wait, did he just say that he was gonna put Joe Biden down? Yeah, he very much did. Just like. <laughs> I want it. Yeah, no. Oh my god, he, that was literally like, I wanted Bernie, but also Bernie's a white dude, so like, we want something better than even that. And like, cool. Uh, you're gonna need to put. This is, this is not a freestyle. That's no. my biggest thing here. Is no. This is not. No. He called him an orange hoe again because it's in the chorus. Um. You can't freestyle a chorus. You can't fucking f no. It's, no, it works. Donald Trump is gone. I hate this. Same. I'm so sorry. I and can't believe you just made us do that. I can't believe I followed up all of that with with that. Yeah. I mean, hey, you're the one who's got to download that and put that underneath the 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 conversation now. I do. I do have to do that. Yeah. Put down the notes. Autumn has. All right, I'm marking it in the. I'm marking it in the track. Yeah, label the. Le yeah, labeling the note. Autumn has to own themselves. At. Oh, one, I hate myself now. At one hour and twenty four minutes, Autumn owns themselves. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, we have an email. We have an email. We have an email. Um, I will read this. It's from Juo, as I mentioned earlier. I'm going to make this bigger on my screen. Give me one moment. Hello, hot singles. It's been hard to think of anything to say about mad, mad villainy besides this is what it is, right? It's amazing. It's the thing that everybody has been pulling from since its release in one way or another. And oh, yeah, more people should sample Bill Evans. Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking, true. Fucking yeah, I shout out raids. It's an incredible little intro. I love it to death. Yeah. I think this was my third time listening to the album, and as a rap neophyte who got into the genre two years ago, going back to it helps to understand um, how we got from 90s rap to Earl Sweatshirt. A um, few questions. One, what's up with Doom, Mike, and Earl Sweatshirt sampling Brazilian singers from the 70s? 
Uh, I'm referring to a sample in Weight of the World and in Rhinestone Cowboy. It becomes funnier to me because they are mostly using songs for their that are for children, but recorded by really famous and genre-defining singers like Ma- Maria Batania, uh, liter- literally for children in Mike's case when sampling... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to try to pronounce this. I don't know how to pronounce Portuguese. But <laughs> <laughs> o Mundo Encantado de Mont- Monteiro Dobato. That's me kind of hacking together Spanish and English. <laughs> <laughs> we forgive you. Um, I'm not. Some, I'm not sure Joao does, but we forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> um. I so like there is a um a lot of rap producers like to talk about crate diving and Mm -hmm. like going through like stacks of old records and trying to find like weird stuff and like you know stuff that no one's ever heard like someone sample this um a lot of producers talk about that what a lot of producers actually do is they go see oh this guy who did this song that i like he was sampling this brazilian jazz singer I will also go sample a different Brazilian jazz singer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, so come to like, it takes one yeah. guy to really like Brazilian music, and then it's just all over rap music for twenty years. Yeah, it, it there becomes these like weird little correspondences that like little scenes will start routinely liking the vibe and sound when you sample and update, and then also process and like produce certain kinds of program material sometimes of original material in a certain way so you'll get like little pockets where like uh everyone's all on that like japanese city pop or everyone's all on that like like 80s new wave stuff or everyone's all on in this case like whether it's bossa or brazilian pop or whatever um yeah no like i don't have an answer beyond it fucking sounds great and i trust that madlib's probably the original one (laughs) yeah i like it's gotta it's probably the the actual thing is if you hear something sampled in a couple different like producers um you can probably trace it back to madlib and dilla maybe Mm q-tip you know (laughs) um that's the thing yeah but but i mean Uh, taking seriously the idea that like there are certain vibes that really click with certain kinds of rappers i don't think it's any surprise that like stuff with like oh my god so this is a thing that me and marcy friend of the pod and friend of ours we've been talking about is that like latin american and south american rhythms are just like categorically different to western rhythms and like mm-hmm. like again this comes really complicated when talking about hip-hop because hip-hop's got its own rhythm rhythmic schemes that are influenced by all sorts of different like black musical traditions in a very different way but just like on on a basic level like to most Americans is there are tons of different rhythms that are just bog standard in Afro-Caribbean, in Mexican, in Central American and in Brazilian and South American music that are just like novel. They're strange and weird and hooky when you listen to them because they like aren't part of the vocabulary that you're like intimately familiar with and like completely bombarded with from birth and just like enculturated with. So I'm not at all surprised that when you want to like show off how like an incredible technician who's got an incredible mastery of flow and pocket in particular, like incredible mastery of rhythm. If you want to show that off, like going to like rhythmic, uh, like rhythmic patterns that like allow you to create some sort of sense of occultiness or some sort of sense mm-hmm. of like weird kind of estrangement from like 
normal rhythmic patterns is a really cool way of doing that. And like, obviously there are tons of different directions you could go with that. And like some of the stuff they just do is like weird, just chops that take stuff out of time, regardless of what the original material was. But like, if you're trying to maintain a groove, but also make it weird, going to like musical cultures and musical like traditions that have rhythms that you're not familiar with, that will be familiar, will be unfamiliar to the audience is a really cool way of doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. I also think that a lot of, um, I think that a lot of producers, um, like Madlib, like Dilla and like Earl and like Mike, like actually don't listen to a ton of rap music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. They definitely do listen to rap music, but I think a lot of those guys listen to like just a lot of like 20th century jazz funk and like music from like other cultures. Like, I just think that that's like the stuff that they like listening to better than like a lot of rap music. Cause I, if I was a producer, I would get super neurotic about like, well, I would have done like, I would have done this differently. You know, I couldn't even come up with an example cause I don't have the sort of musical knowledge that someone like Madlib <laughs> does, but like I would get, I would become such an asshole listening to other rap music. Cause I would hear, no, 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 you should have chopped up this bar from this record, you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, it's the thing we discussed with the mic record. It's like, hip-hop's use of, like, reference of that kind of material specifically is, like, part of, like, the whole th- web of things that link it to, a like, a new version or new outgrowth of, like, black radical musical tradition. That, like, those references and links are a thing that tie it in methodology and in sound and in actual, like, source material, but also in, like, political ethos and aesthetic to jazz hubbop uh, fusion all the way through like the like radical like radical stuff that like overtakes it in r&b and hip-hop like i think that like the use of this kind of sampling is a like a it's a marker and an indicator of what they care about just as much and like vast amount of that is aesthetic but i think that you can read a certain like level of politics and like wanting to use it as like quotation and reference just as much as um like it makes for good sounds. I'm really curious um, if Earl, like, leaning on, like, African jazz music is going to, like, bring other producers to start leaning on that stuff, too. Yeah, um, I hope it does, because, like, yeah. I mean, again, with Arla has got the additional, like, personal weight of the relationship that Bro Willie and Hugh Masekela have between them as, like, people. Like, they are... Yeah close friends and would like Hugh Masekela would have been an individual and figure in Earl's life in a way that like many <laughs> majority of rappers I don't think could claim to have an African jazz great in their like close intimate family network but at the same right. but at the same time like yeah no uh, it, I know exactly what you mean um I hope for it too because the sound's just fucking cool it's a sound that like I was listening I listened to all of some rap songs last night after Mad Villainy and I was like uh, damn Riot's so good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really fucking is. And like, this is the thing. Like, I've got a tiny bit of exposure to that African jazz tradition. That's a, a kind of music that like people in my family have been really invested in. Like, help like keep like try and put gigs on in London for this kind of stuff. Like archival and like I've got people in my family who were like white South African, but they were music students. So like, as part of the sort of like inheritance that when they moved out of South Africa was like trying to keep some of the like musical tradition in of like 
both avant-garde and jazz stuff in South Africa just take that with them and keep promoting it and keep talking about it and keep listening to it. And yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely love it. Love it so much. Uh, and uh, the second part of uh, his email we've already addressed, which is about the Riot Girl stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that probably does it for this episode of Hot Singles. Yeah, good. Doom's fucking great. Um, Listen to everything he's ever made. In particular, the, that golden period, because it's just so I, good. I, I haven't listened to everything that Doom's ever made, and I've been listening to him for years, because it's like, you just get so caught up on, like, the same couple albums. Yeah. You know, like, I listened to Vaudeville Villain for the first time after he passed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> S- same. Entirely the same. And just, like, between um, Doomsday, uh, Food, Vaudeville Villain, and Mad Villainy, that's just, like four near-perfect records of very different styles and with very different intentions, but just all of them just stunning. Stunning, yeah. stunning albums. Do you know uh, what you're bringing next time? I do. Um, can I ask you to go first? Cause I- yes. Yes, because I told you what I was going before. I, I You know what I picked, and I don't know what you picked. So, <laughs> um, I was just like, I was listening to Doom, and I was like, I was listening to KMD. I was listening to a KMD record, and I was just like, man, uh, KMD was not part of Native Tongues, but, like, was clearly, like, pulling from a lot of Native Tongues stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, we should talk about low-end theory, but everybody knows low-end theory. It's no no good talking about that. And then you were like, I've never heard a Tribe record other than um, the most, the comeback one. Yeah, we got it from I guess we're talking about low-end theory because it's... (laughs) Brilliant album. It's, um... For me, uh, the pretty common, like, people either like Low End Theory or um, uh, Midnight Marauders is their favorite Tribe Called Quest album. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like Low End Theory better. I just think it's, you know, near perfect album. So we're just going to talk about it. Sick. <laughs> and yeah, no, like, as I said, my education to rap music came without a history lesson attached. So that, like, yeah. the degree to which I actually, like, searched back, the, the furthest back I went was, like, Roots and Black Thor, Doom, that era of stuff. And it never really extended much further back. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, early mid-90s stuff is just not stuff I know. So, I'm excited. So, the thing we get to say is, next week, said friend of the show, Marcy, is going to be coming along. and sh- Yeah. And she will be bringing... Chuck Person's Echo Jams Volume 1 by Chuck Person. I don't know what this is. So, uh, oh, I guess I can ask you to Wikipedia Chuck Person and see what comes up. I'm pulling up Chuck Person's Echo Jams Volume 1. I just- oh, okay. All right, asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're so- going to make me listen to OPN, aren't you? <laughs> so, so, to clarify... Chuck Connors Person, born in 1964, is an American former basketball player and coach. Person played 14 seasons in the National Basketball Association and was the 1978, uh, sorry, 1987 NBA Rookie of the Year. His 17-year coaching career ended when Person was ensnared in a college recruitment scandal and pleaded guilty to a bribery charge. <laughs> um, yeah. Chuck Person is one of the aliases of Daniel Lopatin, or one of Tricks Point Never, it is an album of echo jams or well you will hear when you go listen to it i won't spoil the magic 
Um, it is- I, I, I'm looking at this cover. I've seen the word vaporwave on this Wikipedia page. All right, you fucking jokesters. I'm going to listen to OPN. Hell <laughs> yes, you are. Um, yeah, the, the I knew this would come someday. No, of course, of fucking course. Um, but yeah, the 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 cover's got Echo the Dolphin screwed and screwed and chopped on it. Um, so we're fucking going there. Um, and the thing that I am bringing is Dexys XFF by Teams. That is D X Y S space XFF by Teams. Um, and I would encourage you not to look up the biography on that one because we've got some fun, interesting things to, to tell you about once we had a listen to it. But you can find, uh, just to be clear, the team's record is on Spotify and on um, Bandcamp. The Chuck Parsons Echo Jams, I don't think is on Spotify, but is definitely on YouTube and it is very well archived around many bits of the internet. So you can almost certainly Google it to find it. And if you can't find it, drop us a message and we'll link you up. I'm I'm downloading it as we speak. So Wonderful. People can find it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah. Uh, message me if you need it because I have it. So yeah. So that is Low in Theory by Tricol Quest. That is Chuck Parsons Echo Jams Volume One by Chuck Parson, and Dexis XFF by Teams. I'm I'm excited. I don't I don't know what two of these things are, and one of these is my favorite album ever. It's not <laughs> that, but it's close. I like it a lot. Hi. I like Tribe Called Quest. Um, speaking of like, uh, you know, speaking of nothing, this is not related to anything we were talking about at all. Um, if people want to like learn more about Tribe Called Quest, um, I'm probably going to mention on the podcast tomorrow, um, uh, or tomorrow, next time I'm going to mention on a, a book on the podcast called, um, Go Ahead in the Rain by Hanif Abdurraqib. It is a book all about A Tribe Called Quest, uh, and it is very good, and people should check it out. It's pretty short. I read it in a day. Um, like, yeah, people should just check that out. Yeah, and shout out to Hanif Abdurraqib. He's a fucking... Uh, the great, like, this podcast exists because, like, his work is a singular inspiration. No one else does anything as good as he does. Yep. No one else does music crit as good as he does, so... <laughs> Yeah. Hell yeah. All right, that'll do it for this whole singles, right? Hey, can't you guys just yeah. wait here about a half hour, man? Wonderful. Yo, I'll be back, uh, man. We don't I'm just going to munch up a little bit, man. I'm pretty Let's hungry. Let's go. Here you will find food for your body, as well as comfort for your troubled mind. I'd really like some soup. Bread and butter. Of course, my friend. What happened to your hand? Anna. Oh, food at last. How do you think it is? Regular storage procedure. The same as the other food. What other food? Fish. Proceed. Go ahead. Well, the cop got. Next morning I went to the store to get some food. Bread and butter. They arrested me. I'll save you. Thank you. Did you like a snack? Thanks for the drink. which I choose to give them. And that's for their own good, believe me. I do do. They disappoint me. They must work faster. But the prisoner. Ah, yes. 
the young traitor who is trying to turn my people against me. Watch him. I have special plans for that one. Beef rap could lead to getting teeth capped or even a reef from armed dudes on some grief crap. I suggest a change of diet. It can lead to high blood pressure if you're fried or even a stroke. Heart attack, heart disease, it ain't no starting back once arteries start to squeeze. Take the easy way out, phony. Until then, they know they wouldn't be talking abalone in the bullpen. So disgusting, part itself as I discuss this. They talk a wealth of shit and they ain't never seen the justice. Bust this like a cold milk from out the toilet. Two batteries, some brillo, and some four, he'll boil it. You'd be better off in PC glued And it's a feud, so don't be in no TV mood Every week it's mystery meat, seaweed stewed Food! We need food! He wears a mask just to cover the raw flesh A rather ugly brother with flows that's gorgeous Drop dead joints, hit the whips like bird shit They need it like a hole in their head or a third tip Her bra smell, his cards say ah hell Barred from all bars and kicked out the Carvel Keep a cooker where the jar fell And keep a cheap hooker that's off the hook like Marbell Top bleeding, maybe fella took the loaded rod gear Stop feeding babies colored sugar coated large squares The art peer swears and God fears Even when it's rotten, you've gotten through the hard years I wrote this note around New Year's Off a couple of shots and a few beers But who cares, enough about me, it's about the beats not about the streets and who food he about to eat A rhyming cannibal who's dressed to kill and cynical Whether is it animal, vegetable or mineral It's a miracle how he gets so lyrical And proceed to move the crowd like an old negro spiritual For a mill, do a commercial for Mellow Yellow Tell them devils hell no, say y'all own jello We hollered krills, she swallowed pills He followed flea, collared three dollar bills And squilled for Halalville, it y'all appeal Dig the real, it's how the big ballers deal Twirl a L after every meal. What up? To all rappers, shut up with your shutting up and keep a shirt on and lease a button up. Yuck, is the rhymers are stripping nails. Out of work jerks since they shut down Chippendales. They chipping nails, doom, chipping scales, let alone the pre-orders that's counted off shipping sales. This one goes out to all my people, skipping bail, dipping jail, whipping tail, and sipping ale. Like the doobie till it glow like a ruby. After which they couldn't find the villain like Scooby. He's in the lab on some old Buddha monk shit. Overproof drunk shit. But who'da thunk it? Punk try and ask why ours be better. Could be the iron mask or the cosby sweater. Yes, you who's screwed by the dude on the CD, nude. We need food.